I think one major thing that I had to come to terms with when I decided that I didn't want to play pro basketball is just understanding that what was the reason why I got into basketball. And the real reason why I got into basketball is just because my I had a dream, and my dream was to always play on CBS. That was my biggest dream. I, I always wanted to play on CBS and play on primetime television. And that year at Austin P, I I played on CBS twice. And I was like, I can't be mad. Like, my childhood dream is reached, and, like, I can't say I deserve more from the game of basketball. It's given me as much as it can, and I'm injured all the time, and I feel, you know, bad bodily. You know, I need to make sure I recover my body and just enjoy my life now. My life was basketball for 20 years, and that's what it defined me. And a lot of people said, like, hey, you're a basketball player, you're a basketball player, you're a basketball player. Now I can be something else. R&B the podcast. R&B the podcast with Russ, with Blake. R&B the podcast. R&B the podcast. What will we make? All right. Welcome back to R&B podcast with Russ, with Blake, with a very special guest. Mm -hmm. Let me tell y'all, Russ is... Obviously, the best man for my wedding, but we have one of my groomsmen with us today, the one and only Jared Gibbons. Yes, round of applause. That's our boy. We go back, way back. Um, Russ and Jared were friends before I met Jared. And just, of course, the way God works, um, Jared became a very good friend of mine. And um, Jared, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. You're glowing. For sure. Russ, uh, how'd you meet Jared? And well, I first met Jared as a competitor, right? Before I ever knew Jared as a friend, he was a dude that I would play against because we come up from the same area. We were always on like the same level of competition with club basketball teams and different things of that nature. So I probably guarded him before I ever actually knew him. Uh, I actually remember specifically us playing against each other in Tucson, like when I was in middle school and we played against each other in a championship game and we were going at it, me and Jared were guarding each other the entire game. And then when I got into uh, my freshman year of high school, we connected because we're on the same summer league team. And from that point, you know, we were still competing even then. Like when we met each other on the same team, it was like, I'm going at this dude because he was obviously like the other best player and, yeah. and we would just go at each other and you know nice nice yeah. and uh so russ and jared grew a lot together they, mm-hmm. they started at a low level of basketball and moved up the ranks aside one another and had a lot of success doing it um jared you've played at just about every level of college basketball you know people getting certain situations where they can't move up and you definitely beat the odds within that and you you performed at every level which is something that's very impressive and um so explain to us a little bit of your journey you know going from high school where where did you start and finish as far as your collegiate career yeah so my freshman year of high school you know i kind of went in you know pretty confident feeling like you know you know i could pretty much do anything but like i should have been on varsity you know felt like rush should have been on varsity with me too and, you know, we both had a lot of talent, but, like, we had, like, the ability to, you know, play at the Division One level as soon as we got out of, college, out of high school and everything. And, you know, the way the world works, you know, we just didn't have that opportunity. I didn't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had an offer from University of Great Falls, and I was very blessed for that opportunity because, you know, my, not very many kids get that opportunity to play college sports. Mm-hmm. So taking the opportunity to, you know, go out there to Montana, play out there, and make the best of the opportunity. You know, get in with the coaches, watch film, learn how to, you know, fix my jump shot fix different moves, upgrade my moves. And, you know, my freshman year was a learning experience. I learned and got humbled by a lot of guys, met some great players, and that's what helped me propel, honestly, into another career at the D2 level. And then playing at the D2 level, you know, I met even better players, met more knowledgeable, I guess you could say, like, systems. I learned a lot of different systems, different Mm -hmm. defensive strategies and everything that made me more knowledgeable about the game. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think propelled me to, like, get to the D1 level was just learning, you know, those first couple of years at D2 level. Mm-hmm. And getting to D1, you know, at that point, it was just like sharpening your craft at that point. Because I'd already learned for the past four years. At that point, that fifth year was just putting it all together and going out there performing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just a system of just putting everything step by step, brick by brick, and just working every day to, yeah. you know, get to that point where you want to be, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You know, you're, you're an excellent example of you can develop no matter kind of what team or organization you're with and stay valuable within the market. Mm-hmm. 
but speak to how are some of the emotions when you're attempting to transfer and you might not know what's coming next and you know you want to leave the last place but you don't know where you're headed or is that a difficult thing to deal with yeah it was you know a lot it was a really difficult situation um but i had a great support system you know i had Mm. great friends with me i had amazing parents that helped me throughout the way you know my dad was up day and night you know looking for colleges for me to go to and you know he worked his butt off and I gave him all the credit for getting me my Adam State offer. You know, I couldn't get anybody to answer the phone for me because I got my release so late. And my dad worked day and night, and he called me one day and was like, hey, you know, like, I got an opportunity for you. Sure. I think you should go out for this visit. And, you know, here we are. You know, mm-hmm. I think just having a support system is really what made me feel, like, less stress and feel like it was everything was doable. It mm-hmm. felt like it was possible with a good support system. Yeah. I was telling Russ that both of you are two guys that I look at and think back, and you've never been one to – say that you can't do something. Like, if you don't do something, it's because you didn't try to do it, right? Yeah. And it's like, when you guys attempt, you keep taking the necessary steps, and you're both very coachable, and you're open to learning how to do things, because you're you're humble enough to know that you don't know what you don't know, right? That's what my yeah. dad used to always tell me, and that's a phrase that a lot of people don't understand, but... Um, you know, you've never complained about what was given to you and you make the most of it and uh, absorb that information and then uh, do your best to be able to apply it. And so for yeah. you, you know, you guys were both in a great program in high school and, um, you know, it was very competitive on your own team. Like you guys had all-star players that you were yeah. playing with. So, of course, you were both performing at a high level, but then there's that level of competition even within your own team. Mm-hmm. And, of course, mm-hmm. that's what led you guys to win how many championships? Yeah, three. three three championships, which is amazing within four years. Like, yeah, who, at, who does at the that, highest right? level of Arizona at high school highest, basketball. Right, right, right. And um, so with that being said, you guys had great players around you, and uh, there were times where you had to be role players, right? And, um, again, you weren't ones to complain about that. I can think of people that, you know, in basketball and football and baseball who, you know, whatever school they were at, the team was stacked. Mm-hmm. And then not only the players, but oftentimes their parents, too, were upset about the the dynamic and then the role that the player has to be in. But, you know, you have to do what's best for the team. And that's what you guys did. And that's why you played such a vital role in those championships, too. Yeah. And, you know, Jerry kind of introduced a new style because he came from a excellent middle school program, right? Mm-hmm. Not many people are just winning at the level he did for Especially the, so many the actual years. public school team, that's not like the saying. club team, right? Yeah, yeah, like his actual middle school school had multiple division one players on it right you guys would just blow everybody out win all your championships Mm -hmm. and I remember when I first started playing with Jarrett um I was always like okay I'm trying to be the leading scorer on the team I'm at right Mm -hmm. I come from trying to be the best person and Jarrett would get like 12 14 points a game just by running the lane and getting these like layups Mm -hmm. and I used to get mad about it I'd be like man he getting easy garbage points like how he got more points than me but he knew how to play he knew how to play basketball the right way you get open that's what I'm saying and you look up he has 20 points already and Uh, it's like oh man nice nice yeah um that's part of the reason you had your success too you know I was listening to Mike Tomlin talk about how at the professional level, people expect these spectacular plays all the time, but mm-hmm. the professionals that actually make a lasting career are the ones that make the ordinary plays ordinarily, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they do those consistently over and over again. And then the opportunities for the big plays come in, but the, the consistency is what's going to pad your stats. And then everybody focuses on the highlights, but that's not even what it takes to get recognized for the collegiate level, right? Yeah. Um, so, again, for you to be able to start at uh, great falls is naia yeah so it's a small naia they're now called the university of providence but yeah small Mm. naia out there nice but it takes a lot to be able to learn the program and learn the system at the naia level and then the very next year going to the d2 level because it's significantly different from level to level right yeah completely different it's completely different ball game you know you got people at naia who are there for different reasons you know you got guys that are for you know academic reasons just personal life reasons and some of them had great opportunities beforehand you know mm-hmm. I played with a lot of guys that were D1 that ended up at NAI and mm-hmm. I was learning so much from them because they're miles ahead of me basketball experience wise so I had a lot to learn from those guys mm-hmm. and that's what helped me a lot too so yeah nice and then uh, you had a similar experience right yeah and you know just like Jared coming from a high school program where you learned to talk on defense and help the correct way made it to where once I got to college, I was able to just hit the ground running because mm-hmm. I didn't have to get taught how to be able to play or how to talk. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was, it was huge. And I didn't realize how valuable that was until I was around like 20 years old. 
because I would see new freshmen come in and I was like, wow, you know, this person can windmill and can score on almost anybody, but we set up a defensive scheme and they're always late and mm-hmm. they have no value now. They can't play because yeah. they just aren't thinking the game yet. Nice. Yeah, it's cool how your perspective changes once you're able to observe someone else that was in that same position, right? Mm-hmm. Last night we were hanging out talking about how um, – you know, we have a more similar perspective to our parents now. So uh, even I'm sure both of your guys' dads were very involved in your basketball upbringing, right? And then if you look back, a lot of those things that they were teaching you at the time, not only about the game, but about your demeanor and what it means to be a basketball player, some of those things probably didn't stick until later on too, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, for me, I don't know how you received your dad's feedback uh, coming up because my dad kind of had the – style sometimes could be harsh sometimes could be mellow but I was always like resistant (laughs) it didn't even matter you know my dad would be trying to give me great tools but just Mm -hmm. being like rebel at heart or something I would always kind of try to deny what he was saying knowing that he had performed at a high level himself exactly and he's thinking with me like man this dude's stubborn I'm just trying to tell him simple ways to make him way better and I'm Mm -hmm. looking at him like oh man I know what I'm doing (laughs) no you don't (laughs) yeah yeah I don't know how how was that with you and your dad uh kind of interacting as you were growing up as a young athlete um my dad my dad wasn't exactly an athlete so to say back mm-hmm. in the day but he was very much emphasized like if you're going to do something put 100 percent effort towards it because me and your mom were supporting you for it mm-hmm. so you know we had tournaments that would last like literally from friday until sunday night we'd be finishing at like 9 p.m and of course for a parent that kills your entire weekend yeah um, so, you know, if I had a situation where I wasn't showing effort or putting enough effort out there, my dad would definitely be the one to call me out. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that he wanted to see me drop 30 points a game or anything like that. He just wanted to see me hustle and just be out there to just want to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's moments where he was just like, hey, like, it's all about the mental game. Like, if you sit there and you, you know, treat every shot like the end of the world if you don't make it and you go in defense, you get scored on, you're not hustling time after lose balls, then there's no reason to be here. You don't want to be here anymore because you're out of the game. But if you know on the loose balls, you know talking on defense, you know being active, your energy builds up, it builds yeah. up everyone else's energy, and it shows that you want to be here. And mm-hmm. he's like, I want to support someone that's out there doing that. Mm-hmm. And so like my dad really motivated me just by telling me like, hey, you want to be there? Like mm-hmm. I want to be here for you, so like show that you want to be here for me as well. Right. So it really helped me a lot. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That energy is almost like you know. I- a hand-powered generator, right? The yeah. more you work, the more energy you get out of it. Exactly. And, and uh, the more fun it is because mm-hmm. as you try harder, um, you're more fulfilled in what you're doing. You know, yeah. a lot of times the people that are, you know, they have the, the bad body posture and they have the negative attitude. Um, a lot of it comes because they're really not trying that hard and they're making excuses like uh, whatever the ref may be doing. You know, uh, we've seen everybody blame the refs for the outcome of the game or their performance, right? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it comes into play, but when it comes down to it, the people that enjoy the game and actually benefit from playing and continue to get better and better are the ones that try not to find excuses for their performance. Yeah. You know, you have to take accountability, right? Absolutely. And I'm sure that's something that uh, you had to learn throughout the years as well. Um, we're talking about how both of you are so coachable. Um, did you have good experiences at each level with your coaching staffs? Or was there something different that you saw maybe at the NAI level compared to D1 that was significant? Um, I would... It's crazy to say, but I would have to say, still to this day, the best coach I've ever had was Coach Dwayne. That's mm-hmm. still high school basketball. Yeah, that's High still school. the best coach I've ever had. Del Sol. He knows the game like so well. Like yeah. it's crazy just seeing like how well he can orchestrate, no matter what talent he has. Yeah. And even our, I mean, you can attest during our 2013, 2000, or 2012, 2013 season. Yeah. You know, we had no ESPN top 100 players on our team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we finished the season like top 20 in the country. Which is crazy. We mm-hmm. we had no one even over six five on our roster, mm-hmm. but we were just he just knew how to implement and move people into the right places to make them look good. Mm-hmm. And in college, yeah, you have great coaches. Like I had amazing coaches all through college that gave me the tools to be successful. Um, but just the connection that Coach Dwayne had with his players was just different. It like really, he was someone I wanted to reach out to whenever I felt like I didn't know something about basketball because mm-hmm. I felt like he would know and he would connect with me better about it. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think everyone, all my coaches, all have their own greatness in their own way. Um, you know, I think they all taught me different things. I think each level, there's different levels of intensity. From what I did at Austin P, but compared to UGF, like 
Austin Peay was really hard. Mm. It was a tough, tough situation. I had a tough coach, um, but he was tough because he believed in his players. Mm. And as you get older, you start to realize that over the time, you know, you go through all the yelling and the screaming and like the running. You're just like, I hate this. Like this guy doesn't get us. This doesn't help us. But in reality, he's pushing you to be better. Mm. And like those extra practices and the extra conditioning we did was to make us better. And we had a great season because we got pushed hard. Mm -hmm. But like the moments where I wasn't pushed hard throughout my season, I had a really rough season in the mm -hmm. show. So yeah, just the coaching styles were so different throughout all five of the coaches I had throughout my years in college. So yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Good. I was just thinking because similar, like you, I've had a lot of coaches and my high school coach, I feel like was the one that set me up and showed me kind of the real game and how I was supposed to do it. One thing that Coach Dwayne used to do that I think is – uh, really only he did is that he would have these little like pre-practice meetings with each player like we would always warm up with doing our jump shots and going to our own hoops but he would walk around with like a paper sometimes some stats sometimes he had something written down and he would just for a couple minutes talk to you about something that happened in the last game that probably only you were really thinking about because it wasn't a huge moment yeah. it was like hey I remember in the third quarter when this play happened and like how'd you feel about that you know what I mean and now you're like oh wow he's paying attention mm -hmm. to my little detail and then when we come together as a group he like broadens it and makes it about all of us now mm -hmm. you know what I mean that's dope yeah and that's a really good like leadership hack is you know make every person think that you're paying attention to the details of just them mm -hmm. you know yeah. and then move on to the next person make them feel that way too I'm glad you went first because I was just gonna ask uh -huh. both of you to explain what it was about coach Dwayne that caused you guys to respect him so much while he was coaching bro and one thing I can say for sure is that he was the same guy with every player yeah. you know I've had coaches yeah. that the best players on the team mm -hmm. They're like soft spoken to them and they're yelling at the 14th dude on the bench. Mm. And Coach Dwayne was like, nope, from the top to the bottom, same dude. Nice. And that's, that's respect off top. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I definitely never had a coaching experience where the coach was asking me what I felt about a play, right? Mm -hmm. And that emotional aspect is so important to performance, especially with kids, right? Yeah. You know, uh, 16 years old, all these emotions and hormones and distractions, and uh, to be able to compete at a high level, you do have to be emotionally intact. I know... Um, I had maybe a couple situations in football where, you know, you have these outbursts and it's a very physical game. So, you know, it happens sometimes. But I definitely had a couple teammates where their outbursts either got them kicked off the team or got them ejected from a game or got them in some level of trouble. Right. And I do think that if uh, more coaches took time to ask the players how they feel about certain things and make them express that emotion, then uh, they would have better control and then in turn have better performance. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And so and another uh, big thing is uh, the use of rituals. Right. Mm. So he introduced that whenever we would have playoff games, we would meet at, at his dad's house mm -hmm. and they would cook the same meal. It'd be like spaghetti and like breadsticks. Right. Or some type of garlic bread. And every single time it'd be the same message. What was the message? Go home tonight yeah, and, and visualize. Yourself, visualize you winning the championship. Yep. Visualize time. you making the play that we need to make and visualize you doing the best at what you do. Mm -hmm. And everyone would go home and do it and we'd come back and win. <laughs> and it would just be set up. And he would order the same Subway sandwich. Like you'd yes. order one sandwich to start the year and yep. we'd order that sandwich every single game day and never change it. And the sandwich he would go with would always be tuna. He would always get a tuna sandwich which would it was like weird, like why tuna? <laughs> but he went with tuna the first year we won a championship, and he remember him telling this at the end of the year, like banquet, like I've been eating a tuna sandwich like all year. I'm so happy I get to stop doing that and pick up like, a new sandwich. <laughs> like yeah. he was so happy, but yeah, he was just like he was definitely like a player's coach mm -hmm. for someone that didn't like talk to us a lot. He really knew how to demand respect as soon as he walked into the gym. Mm -hmm. Like he'd walk in, everybody like, coaches in here, and we'd all form shooting, continue warming up. And like Russ said, like he was very personal. Like he would come talk to you and just be like, hey, like. You're stressed about this. Hey, what's going on with this? Hey, what's going on with this? And mm -hmm. like film wasn't like a stressful thing. Film was like, I'm going to go in and learn. I'm not going to go in and get teased or picked on for like yeah. 20 minutes and be like, oh, I forgot that screen or I didn't get in help side or I didn't mm -hmm. do this. Like he was just like, hey, like this happened. Everyone needs to be able to listen in because this is all, everyone does this. Everyone misses help side. Everyone mm -hmm. misses a box out. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it just made everyone feel better about themselves as players. 
Uh, that's such a great point because I didn't think about that. I definitely felt that way in high school. Like we're all just learning in film. Mm -hmm. I was on some teams in college where film would start, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> like I'm like, oh man, like I, I know what's me. coming because I remember the play, and yep. I know that coach is gonna stop, look at me, and, and start winding. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing here? You're just like, I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, film was usually rough in my experience and yeah. it's like even if you had a good game there's always that one play where you're like oh man <laughs> i don't really want to deal with it but our coaches never asked us how that made us feel it's like yeah i'm embarrassed and i know i messed up and i feel bad because it it uh cost a touchdown or something right and but instead it's like ridicule and sure. shame you for it right and yeah. there's such different responses from that and that's probably why my football team won three games and you guys won a championship right. <laughs> like yeah. uh that leadership is so key and then it trickles down right uh having good leaders as coaches enables the players to be good leaders as well mm -hmm. and then they have the accountability within the team and i know that you guys had strong connections with your teammates as a result of that coaching effort too and uh, just making it more of a family and then everybody wants to try hard so that you know your brothers can be successful as well and that's how it takes you all to the top right yeah you know like I, I tell this to so many people when they ask me about like keys of what I think a good team is and for basketball it's that whoever is your practice squad the players who are going to be running the other team's plays so you can scout them mm -hmm. they need to be bought in and that was what it was with us in high school. Our practice team was better than most teams that we played. Yeah. And that you can't you can't put like any value on that. That's going to make you amazing. But what does a leader have to do to make someone who knows they're not going to play buy in at that level, you yeah. know? You got to let them know that we're all going to make it together and you're going to get a ring and you're going to be a champion because of the way you push Jarrett today mm -hmm. and, and that's your role mm -hmm. you know yep. Yep, yep and it's good to explain it to him right mm -hmm. and then you know don't don't leave any gray area for people to fill in the blanks because you don't want it to be a negative perception so if you are direct and take control of that situation then the outcome is going to be more favorable right Absolutely. yeah nice um so I mean, as all athletes in the room, we understand how uh, the sports mentality and the team mentality translates into the, the professional world, right? We've all uh, worked jobs now in team settings where uh, we've seen weak players and good leadership, poor leadership, and uh, people that abuse whatever situation it is, somebody that doesn't carry their weight, right? And us coming from that sports background of uh, high-level athletes and high-level competition, we have high expectations for the people that we work with, right? Mm -hmm. And we understand that that work environment can be so detrimental if the leadership is poor and if the, the morale is low and people aren't putting in the effort and uh, carrying their weight, right? For and sure. um, that's why, you know, for me, I, I hope at least my kids will be motivated to at least try a sport and just be in that team environment just because it's so easy to develop those qualities in that setting to me. And um, I mean... Personally, I think that sports allowed me to excel in school, too, because I had to. And then it, it was just an expectation and a habit, you know, me wanting at that time to play college football. You know, college comes with good grades, so I need to make both of these things work for me, right? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't really a matter of if I want to or if it's going to happen. It was just the habit, the same way that I expected to perform on the football field, I expected to perform in the classroom. And that's something that my parents drove home a lot. They didn't really care if I played sports. They just wanted me to get good grades because they understood, like, whatever I wanted to do, I needed to get good grades first to do it. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of it, they kind of let me choose to do. And um you know, there were times where I thought that I wanted more of that direct presence from my parents kind of uh, motivating me to be more interested in sports or, um, you know, put in that work or that practice. But luckily, I was able to do that on my own accord. And um, my parents played their role in making sure that I was successful with my education, which in turn was more important because, you know, with concussions and stuff, I decided I didn't want to play college football and I still was able to get an academic scholarship. So leaving those options open is so important. And, um, you know, we, we've all seen very talented people that we expected to play professionally that didn't, right? Yeah. And we've seen that uh, end in so many different ways. Like a lot of people make the best of it and uh, they utilize those skills that we just talked about and move them into the professional world and do their thing. And some people are lost and that, that transition can be very difficult, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you make it to the college level or uh, don't and think you're going to go professional or uh, whatever it may be, 
transitioning from an athlete and having that routine can be uh, a little bit of a daunting task. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if there's anything specific that you feel you could uh, tell our listeners that may be making that transition on what might benefit them and being a little more comfortable and being ready to transition those skills into a different setting? Yeah, I think, I think one major thing that I had to come to terms with when I decided that I didn't want to play pro basketball is just understanding that what was the reason why I got into basketball? Mm. And the real reason why I got into basketball is just because my, I had a dream, and my dream was to always play on CBS. That was my biggest dream. I, I always wanted to play on CBS and play on primetime television. Mm. And that year at Austin P, I I played on CBS twice. And I was like, I can't be mad. Like, mm. my childhood dream is reached. Mm. And, like, I can't say I deserve more from the game of basketball. It's given me as much as it can. And I'm injured all the time and I feel, you know, bad bodily. You know, I need to make sure I recover my body and just enjoy my life now. My life was basketball for 20 years. And that's what it defined me. And a lot of people said, like, hey, you're a basketball player, you're a basketball player, you're a basketball player. Now I can be something else. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with changing your skin or changing your, your stripes or whatever you want to say. It's okay to do that because the real world is going to come at some point. And eventually at some point, that ball, the field, or something is going to disappear from your life and you're mm. going to have to get to that real world. Mm. And that's okay. It's, you can still love those things. I still play men's league. I still watch basketball. I still play 2K. I still talk basketball with my friends every day. Mm. Like It's still in my life a lot. Mm. It never goes away. But eventually you do have to hit that point where you're just like, hey, like I had a goal. And at the end of the day, I could be proud of myself knowing that I hit that goal. Right. Let me move forward with a new goal in mind that's going to you know, benefit people around me or mm -hmm. benefit you know, people that I don't know. You know, it's just you just have to have a different mentality, I think, once you hit that certain point in time, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And we've seen it be difficult for so many people. But the way that you're putting it, I think is very helpful for people. When you're young, it's daunting. When you're yeah. young, the idea of you being done playing is like, nah, not, not me. Not me, bro. Like, I'm going to go and do the highest level of things. And me and Jared have actually even seen players that were great in high school but couldn't go to college because of their grades. Right. right? You're, you're very great academically. I'm wondering for you, Jared, we have young athletes that listen to our podcast. In your experience of all this college basketball – what were the best resources to help you maintain the grades that were necessary? The best thing that helped me the most was honestly reaching out to my professors. Mm. I think one major thing that I really took notice into my sophomore, junior year was reaching out to my professors more often in email. If I had a question about a course or say I was struggling with a module or something, just simply asking like, hey, can you go over this again in class next week? Or hey, can you go over this again for me? Or hey, can I even come into your office and just get like a personal like attention on this? And they're always open to do that because they mm -hmm. want to see you succeed too. They know the trials and tribulations you deal with is just being a student at a college. You deal with you know your social life. You deal with you know sports if you have it, clubs. There's so many different things you're working with at one time, so your mind is all over the place. Mm -hmm. So it's best to just like just reach out to people. I think a lot of people get so caught up in the idea of like, I'm struggling in school. It's okay to just be quiet about it, and I'll figure it out over time. But like, reaching out to an advisor, reaching out to your professors, and like reaching out to other peers, people have the same questions you do too. I mean, like, there's moments where I didn't know what I was doing with a lot of the stuff I was doing math-wise because I was trying to get into further math classes and get an accounting degree. And I had to reach out to my classmates, and that helped me. I ended up passing my class, which I was going to fail and be ineligible, but reaching out to my classmates and peers helped me pass mm. my class. So. Nice. Yeah. That takes courage, and we keep coming back to this kind of idea that the courage to reach out mm -hmm. to people. Humility, too. Man, it can enhance everything that you're doing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, admitting that you don't know. Yeah. Simple as that. All right. So, Jared, you're always somebody that I've thought was relatively positive in almost every situation I've seen. Like, you you don't seem like you get phased very easily. And um, is that a quality that, that you feel you've always had, or was it developed at a certain time in a certain way? Um, I think that's a quality that is honestly passed down throughout the Gibbons family. Uh -huh. um, my dad, he's a grumpy person if you ask my mom, <laughs> but overall, he's like a really happy dude. Like. He looks at life in a really positive way. Mm. And uh, my grandfather, um, of course, rest in peace to him, he was like the most carefree person in the world. Like nothing faced him. Mm. And when people talk to me, they're always like, oh, you're just like your grandfather. Like so carefree, like you're positive, you're happy. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's like how all the givens men are. I think that's just what we promote. Just mm. like we just give off happiness and a good vibe. And I'm so blessed to be from 
a generation of men like that that just promote mm. happiness and just give off such a happy vibe. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that's all just like natural givens energy, honestly, just yeah. being happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jared's the ultimate testament to like what the father integrated in the family the correct way produces yeah. you know what i mean he's always yeah. been that it's been like wow this is the goal the american goal when mm -hmm. everyone's trying to figure out how to fix these problems it's like well look no further like get your family and look after it you mm -hmm. know and you'll grow people like that i used to see jared's dad in the gym putting up more weight than anyone there and he'd just be isolated you know, doing his own thing, super consistent, mm -hmm. like all the time. I see Jerry's dad and be like, "All right, well, <laughs> that's motivating because <laughs> right. I hope to be able to do that when I'm his age." Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. And then, like you say, your dad wasn't an athlete growing up, right? But he has these healthy habits, and he's consistent, and um, has a routine with his professional life that has uh, brought him success in what he does as well. And you've uh, taken the correct notes along the way and had that leadership in the home, like Russ was saying. And we talk about leadership in all these different areas, and it's always important to have a leader, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, that's why I I've always feel like the, the father should have a leadership role within the home. You know, people mm -hmm. talk about gender roles and that that's often has like taboo behind it but um you know that's that's true masculinity to me being able to to show the the rest of the family that one they're protected and two that they can be strong and be kind and uh, be motivated to do great things and the mm -hmm. consistency and the dedication is all that it takes and uh having that humility and the support is very important right yeah. And so um, you've learned to be resourceful in the sports world and in the ed educational field. And shout out to you having a master's degree. That's Thank I was telling Russ, you know, sometimes I forget my boy got a master's. Like <laughs> that's, that's not something that we can just uh, overlook. And uh, you should be proud of yourself for that, especially being an athlete. We know so many athletes that don't graduate. Right. right. Yeah. And um, or like you said, don't even have the good enough grades to begin college sports. Right. So, um, yeah. And I, I mean, I work with a lot of middle school age kids who are telling me, hey, my dream is I'm going to the NBA. Mm -hmm. But they do not connect school with their route to their dream. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here like, well, you better start using resources. You better start asking your teachers what you can do to understand a concept because you're not going to even play in high school yeah. if you're not going to your classes and taking it serious. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you got to understand the necessary steps and take them. You can't skip steps. Mm -mm. Right. It would be nice. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, even wanting to go from high school to uh, the pros, I have mixed emotions about that. I actually ran into a guy earlier today who um, he didn't go to college before going to the NBA. Right. And um, I just my experience with college personally and then uh the, the athletes that I've known throughout college and having that kind of stepping stone to the professional level because it does take a level of professionalism that is often taught at the collegiate level, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that, that transition of going from a boy to a man and also trying to uh, go from a amateur to a pro at the same time can be very difficult because that's asking a lot of a child, you know, 18-year-old sure. child, in my opinion. We call uh, college kids adults technically by law, but um, I know me personally, I didn't really start behaving or operating as an adult until after I was out of college, you know, yeah. even maybe a year after that. So yeah. we all go through this process at different speeds. And we've seen a lot of young athletes that they have the demeanor, they have the skill, they have the strength. And it is like they're a grown man and they've been trained to uh, perform in press conferences and stuff like that. And it's very impressive. But um, that's just not something that the average athlete is able to do that yeah. that efficiently. Right. Mm, yeah. um, I know you guys have played with guys who have made it to all these different levels, right? And that continue to have success. Is there, um, I don't want you to name drop anybody, but just what, what qualities have you guys seen that are just essential for someone to really have that longevity in their success? What do you think, Jared, before I go, you go first. Um, Playing with some really great guys, I think a quality that they all share is just like the ability to be humble. And it's more than just like acknowledging the fact that like knowing you're not the best, but you have much to learn. But like these guys are like always willing to learn, like no matter what the situation is, they're like, hey, like I can learn at all times. And even, you know, I can throw my boy out there, my boy Terry, mm -hmm. like Terry learns a lot about the game, like 
the dude watches basketball all the time. Mm -hmm. um, he was here last week and spent most of our time watching basketball film. Mm -hmm. You know, he wants to learn. He wants to get better. He wants to be the best he can be, and he wants to be able to stay in the league as long as he can because he knows everyone's doing the same thing. You know, guys' free time is spent just watching film, watching, you know, other teams, watching other guys, watching training videos, and that's that's the reality of it. Just being humble knowing, like, your craft is never done. You're, mm -hmm. you're never finished with what you can be. You know, you can always be better than the next guy. There's always someone that's doing much more than you're doing. You know, you could be going to bed at 11, but there's a guy that's shooting hoops at 1130. You mm -hmm. just never know. There's someone always working to be better. Yep. And understanding that and taking that outlook at basketball is like, it's a never-ending game of learning. Instead of it just being a finish line somewhere in there, it's just the right way the best players look at it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kobe never stopped looking at the game as just an experiment or something he could work on all the time. Braun, Braun doesn't stop. He works at it every time. And Braun doesn't even say he's the best. People ask him if he's the best all time, and Braun always says, like, Man, I, I I hear a lot of people say it about me, but mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah. he'll step up and say he's the best player when he needs to. Yeah. And he needs to prove it, which yeah. I think that's just what sets the gates apart. You know, right, right. yeah, it's it's integrated into their personality to just exactly. do these things. You know, I, I'm gonna name drop one person too, a man from North Dakota named Tyler Rudolph. When I went and played uh, Division Two at Minot State, he was uh, the player of the year in the conference, averaged 30 points a game. He always led our conference in points and rebounds at the four position and dude this guy i remember i would walk into our our arena because i would cut through there to like go to class and go to the cafeteria i just hear a ball bouncing like look it would be rudolph in there just getting jumpers up in there working on his post moves he would get done ice bath i'd go in the locker room he'd be in there doing a little ab circuit from his phone some like thing and he's just by himself the whole time mm -hmm. and i was just like this dude works super hard like i'd never have played with anybody like this mm -hmm. but then un so unguardable you mm -hmm. know what i mean and, and it just showed that it was wasn't like he was forcing himself to do anything it looked like that's what he wanted to do like you yeah. were talking about your dad saying it looked like Rudy that's what we call him, Rudy it looked like Rudy wanted to be there just working hard mm -hmm. you know so that and then like he said being able to be humble enough to accept feedback I've never seen any great players I play with fight with our coaches mm -hmm. I never see them be like shut up or leave the practice and like mm -hmm. a whiny manner they always take their feedback and just keep moving yeah yeah because that only lasts so long mm -hmm. and unfortunately yeah. some players get on teams where they're allowed to do things like that yeah. and then it's only going to stifle their progress um success and um you know your your performance is a direct reflection of the work you put in and the consistency that you have behind it right mm -hmm. um, and if you're not that guy like it's not a bad thing right if you if you don't just want to put in all that extra work because you're motivated to you probably just need to like shift your focus to whatever it is that you do want to put that extra work into you right. know like because it should come natural i believe that it's not supposed to be so forced when you're going to be great at something it should just flow yeah. right because it's what you're destined for definitely definitely and then sometimes you just have to feed into those interests that you have. You know, mm -hmm. some people think that their interests are just hobbies or not significant and what their capabilities are. Right. Mm -hmm. I think about like Jarrett, for instance, uh, in high school, we'd be sitting at the lunch table and he'd be like drawn on his phone, had this little app and he's doing doodles on the phone. Right. And I'm over here thinking like, what is this dude doing? Yeah. Like we're all <laughs> talking and he's just in his own world over here, like making whatever doodle. And then here he is now though, designing clothes, making a brand. And, um, so I, I just say that because whatever people are interested in, it doesn't matter if someone else approves of your interest, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know what you're interested in and you've always stayed true to what you do and then here it is uh, manifesting and uh, a lot of potential. And um, it's something that you've worked on over many years and it's coming to fruition of what it is that that, that purpose was behind it, right? Yeah, man, I just saw, we didn't talk about this last night, I just saw your guys' brand got up on Instagram and you followed us. What, what's the brand called? If you could talk about it a little bit, I think we can get into that. Yeah, so uh, me and Tevin Mayfield, you know, we're starting a new brand that we want to kind of like push to be a more environmentally friendly brand. Um, so we're trying to see what we can do in regards to finding, you know, something in regards to reusable material for a lot of our clothing so we're not damaging the environment any further. Mm -hmm. um, but our brand's called Brand 96, and it's based off of our birth year of 1996. And... The generation of, you know, everyone before the year 2000, you know, our generation is, you know, going away. The 1900s is eventually fading away. And now there's a bunch of people being born in the 2000s. So we're trying to bring in style that's going to really implement our generation, mm. really put our generation on the map with fashion and everything like that. Um, you know, very simplistic styles, though, 
but you know we want to make sure we have a simplistic style but also creative and something that really makes you feel proud to rock the closure rocket mm-hmm. um we want to you know hopefully you know make some releases here soon we don't have any for sure lock-in dates right now um we're finishing the touches right now um we we're really excited about the brand we want to expand it as much as we can and you know build a platform for other people you know hopefully um but yeah it's really exciting you know there's a lot to come we got a lot of work to do still um but yeah it, i think it's in great hands right now i think yeah. we have a great great system right now me and him work really well but yeah i'm really excited yeah finding a partner that aligns with your vision is huge being able to work with somebody who you guys have the same kind of vision towards what you want to create mm-hmm. what are you going to ask oh you just both have the the ties to the overarching idea of brand 96 i think that years 90, 1995 1996 are really special because they're kind of like in between like we were talking about right yeah. don't don't really get to call yourself a 90s baby quite because you didn't really experience being a, a kid in that time but at the same time we're not 2000s kids right exactly. and um it's like what what is being that 96 kids space right? jam that's space what i always jam. think like, like when i think there's of a 90... lot that happened in 96. Yeah, 96 was a great year 96. I, mean, like, so I wish i had researched all the things because that was a very eventful year well you know? some off top you got space jam you got mm-hmm. lauren hills miseducation of lauren hill mm-hmm. and you got jay-z's reasonable doubt oh, all three of those things too. came out in 96 oh, man nice nice and there's so much more than that it's right? so much more but those are my three when i think of the energy of the year i was born i like to have mm-hmm. those three things as kind of like that's me yeah, <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. those three things are me man and then we you know we we're talking about our experience with technology we were right around the time where people started having computers in their houses mm-hmm. and uh the the internet boom and the the year y2k all that stuff where we were little kids but they're still so impactful for us and then we mm-hmm. go through like 9-11 and hurricane katrina and and then the 2007 recession and then it's like growing up in all those times that's going to be like very historical when we look yeah. back at it and we're in our 40s and 50s right yeah um and then right now it just feels like current events right i don't yeah. think a lot of people look at it as history but here we are 27 years down the line so we're, we're definitely getting to that point especially yeah. you talk about these uh 2000s kids feeling like the 1900s is yeah. medieval times right yeah. <laughs> um and in ways it is because again like the advancements in technology that we've seen going from uh brick cell phones when we were babies and then now we got the iphones and the personal computer in our pocket chat gpt in my pocket mm-hmm. all of those advancements for us to have basically started from diapers and see all these things grow with us i think is pretty cool so you guys are figuring out a way to um envision that within a clothing brand that i'm sure will be a lot more than clothing and also having that purpose behind it of uh, being environmentally friendly i think is important too so mm-hmm. we're of course excited to support you guys as you build and uh, get okay. everything locked in you guys can expect to see like some some r&b collab with brand 96 Absolutely. in the future right but um it's just so important to uh have a circle like this right people that want to do things that are scary and uh take Mm. that leap of faith and be creative Mm -hmm. um i always talk about you know us us being men of god the the most amazing thing we could do is be creators because Mm -hmm. the creator gave us all this ability to create and build right so um like me creating my family and trying to build upon that and then us with our businesses and then just creating this bond that we have with each other is uh something that we we just can never take for granted and i know that we won't allow each other to do that right um some some bonds that you make in your life are just uh they're different to the point where you don't even have to do a lot of work to nourish them right we we all had our time in college where we were a little more disconnected just because we're in different states. We're doing our own thing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, a lot of time that's required of us to do what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But um, we found our way back into this area of Phoenix, and then here we are helping each other build stuff up. And then so it's just so important um, to to nurture your relationships and yep. um, you know let people know that you appreciate them. And uh, I'll tell y'all that I appreciate you very much. Yeah, man. Um, appreciate you too, bro. You know, I I feel like I've always struggled like labeling a role model, but I definitely surround myself around people that I'm okay with being similar to, right? Mm-hmm. I'm never going to try to be like someone else, but 
I like being around people that have a similar vision and that know that this isn't their final form and I can see them moving towards that and it's like we're all pulling each other along, right? And and sometimes one of us might be ahead of the other and there's never any type of envy or or um, you know, jealousy between that because we we know that whoever's ahead is gonna be pulling us along and then eventually I'll be the one leading the pack, right? And we're all taking turns being the the basically the one putting the team on their back. Yeah, right? it's like the so to speak they used to call it the Indian run, right? In yeah, football practice, right, right, where right. the person in the back has to go <laughs> to the front. front yeah. That's kind of how our group <laughs> is, and, and that's a good way to set up your relationships is to think about it that way. Yeah, you know what definitely. I mean. I want to ask you, Jared, because you're so even keel, but I know you've played and gone through big moments with a lot of people watching you. When was the last time in your life where you were nervous to do something, where you just felt like butterflies in your stomach? Oh man, honestly. Every two weeks, I would say, I have I host a meeting um, at work, and it's the most nerve-wracking thing in the world. It's not it's nothing crazy. It's just a discussion forum where people come into a meeting and they just ask me questions and I answer the question for them. And something as simplistic as usually is there's two three people in there, <clears throat> but it drives me crazy. The anxiety yeah. I just can't handle. It's just <clears throat> I'm anxious. I'm sprinting around the house and. Then right before the meeting, I'm like sitting looking at the Google Meet, just like who's gonna come in there, and then yeah. I see like a name pop up. I'm like, like now I have w- to. Enter. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the worst world of my life, and I have to go in and answer this person's question. Yeah. So, I mean, I do try to stay even keel, but like little things like that still get under my skin. Mm. Like having to host a, me- a meeting or like having to do a presentation or those things still bug me. Yeah. But you know, it's different than basketball. Basketball is like natural. I yeah. just feel like I'm alone when I'm on the basketball court, whereas when I'm in a work situation, it's work and I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I understand that for sure. That's interesting. Is there anything that you've tried to implement to um, just have better control of that situation as you've done it more more times? Yeah, so the, as, you, as you do it more, it gets easier. And my dad always says this is a comment of, you know, think fast, talk slow. You think mm. fast, but you talk slow. People think you know what you're talking about. It feels more comforting <laughs> knowing someone's talking slow to you rather than nice. running That's through good. everything you're saying. Yep. So that helped me a lot and helped people understand what I was saying in a lot of those meetings where I was just like, hey, I'm not sure about this question, but I can look into it and I can get back to you as soon as possible once I do have an answer for you. And so many more people are happy with that answer rather than me going, oh my gosh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And like searching for like 20 minutes and then being like, yeah, I don't know. Or yeah. lying to or them. Or lying to them and getting yeah. them the wrong answer. So mm-hmm. it's just better to just be honest and just be like, I don't know, and just get out of the situation. Just be like, hey, but I can't find that answer for you. And that takes so much pressure off both parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love that. Think fast, talk slow. Yeah, you know, it's good. like you're choosing your words. You got all this stream of stuff going by and you're strategically taking what you want and putting it into the world. Yeah. Exactly. That's how you really create. You yeah. Know? I've That's always real. been more of a slow talker and I've never thought about it that way, being uh, kind of a, a benefit in how you present yourself, right? Because yeah. I've at times been like, oh, I wish I could like say what was on my mind quicker, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, people tend to listen to me and absorb what I'm saying easier because I present it in a way that they can process. And then also I'm, like you said, being able to process what I'm actually putting out a lot easier that way. And I get it from my mom, you know, we have that, that, uh, I guess the, the Southern quality of communication where, (laughs) you know, it's a little more leisurely than the West coast vibe where everything, everybody's like, go, go, go. And, um, my mom would tell you that I've, I had times where I'm like, okay, come on, like, tell me what you're saying. <laughs> but it's like, it, it's effective though. Whatever she's saying, it, there's quality behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, just sometimes maybe you could shorten it up or present it a little quicker. But I, I mean, I'm grateful that she communicates that way because that is certainly why I do that similarly, right? Mm-hmm. And again, it trickles down and we have those, the leaders in our life, the people we look up to that uh, are secretly just rooting for us all the time. And they're like, mm-hmm. they're behind us, giving us these tools, whether we're aware of it or not. Right. Yeah. And it was uh, definitely later in life that I was able to realize the the little tips and tricks that I've picked up from not only my parents, but uh, people that I've grown up watching on TV, such as athletes like Kobe and LeBron. Right. So, so uh, you watch them play basketball and you don't even realize that you you're motivated sometimes. And you're just sitting there in awe looking at what they're able to do. But then you guys go into the lab and you're uh doing your workouts and stuff and just seeing that 
it's possible to perform at that level can be so empowering, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about iron sharpening iron, man. Like me and Jared, we used to be in Lifetime in the gym all off season. We'd both get home for the summer and it was every night. We're in there two, three hours recreating whatever we saw on TV. Like you saw that Rockets game. It was (laughs) this move that was made. And we sit in there trying to see who could really do it the right way. Mm. All this type of stuff. We just spent so much time working. And I've wanted that to be known in this podcast, you know, before we ended, I've never played more games with any other human being other than Jerry, you know, because we played on the same club team the whole time in high school and the same high school team for every single game. And it's just a testament to kind of like when you go to war with someone so many times, how you just, you know him. Like, I know what Jared would do. If we went and played right now, I know what Jared would do. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that just level of communication in a relationship it makes it a scene where I could not talk to Jared for like a decade and I'd come back and be like, oh, that's Jared. Like, you know what I mean? I'll never like not know who he is. Right. You know what I'm saying? So since you know Jared so well and his tendencies, can you guard him? I've, I've have guarded yeah. him. I mean, I've he spent a lot, I've spent yeah, a lot I, of time. It's crazy because no matter where I've gone, I think Russ is the best person that's ever guarded me. Yeah. Like by far, Russ guards me better than anyone else. Because I like one that was like a specialty I have, and then also we spent all of our time <laughs> making our moves together. Yeah, so. so many summers, yeah. like I do attribute like a lot of my basketball skills to Russ. because yeah. I spent most of my summers with Russ. Yeah. There was a point in time where we went every single day, two times a day, going to the gym. We'd be playing pickup in the morning, and we'd be like, "Hey, you trying to be back here at five o'clock and get shots up?" And we'd mm-hmm. be back here getting shots up, and it was just it made us so good. It was points mm-hmm. of times where we were missing, like we would right. go and open gyms and just not miss mm. and people be like why are you guys like this and then sure enough we finish open gym and we'd get shots up we'd be like are you trying to go 10 spots again yeah. and it was just like again we wanted to be there we loved the game we had a passion for it and just it made us so much better like mm. we really had the definition of iron sharpens iron right, every exactly. single day like mm. it was it was good been mm. in the work yeah. And no matter what comes of it, you're always just going to be proud of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So people could be like, oh, you spent all that time. And then what happens? Well, you're proud that you learned how to work at something. Yeah. And then you just keep taking it and moving what your goal is because you know how to work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's hard to be disappointed when you really gave all your effort in something. Exactly. I think when people fail and they, they're beating themselves up, it's because they know they could have prepared more, right? They, they know that they failed because the other person that beat them was more prepared. We talk yeah. about that a lot. Man, I, I remember my very last game of college. We played in the Pentagon in South Dakota, um, you know, a great historic gym. And we got to, like, the – you know, final four of our conference tournament, and we lost in overtime. We were up, dude hit an amazing, like, half-court shot to tie the game up. That kind of sunk my heart a little bit. I saw my teammates were kind of like, oh, man, we didn't have the best morale going into overtime, Mm -hmm. and then we lost in overtime. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those moments where I did not feel like I had control of my emotions, dude. I went and sat back in my locker, and I was just bawling, Mm -hmm. crying, went and took my shower, crying in the shower. I got on the bus and, like, secluded myself from my team. Like, Mm -hmm. it it hurt so much because I kind of knew it was over. I kind of was like, dude, this is it. I'm not going to ever do this again at this level. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's a, definitely a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, that that one day where it's like finally over. There's something about the anticipation getting to that moment, and then while you're in it, you feel almost excited about it. I'm sure it's mm-hmm. like because you want to perform, but then if it doesn't turn out the way that you want, that's one thing. And then also just having to accept that uh, you're closing a chapter, you know, mm-hmm. and it's uh, time to start a new one. But then when you realize that that just opens up this world of opportunity and you can do whatever you want and uh, you can translate those skills and that work ethic like we talked about, then life becomes a lot more exciting. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But so many people have problems understanding that piece. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And they, they have their identity that's in the past at this point. You know, because you guys do identify as basketball players, and I'm sure you still identify as basketball players, but your relationship to the game is different, so yeah. your your uh, identification has to change a little bit, and mm-hmm. it's almost like the the death of a piece of you. We I've heard people say that there has to be death of the boy before the man is born. 
real right. real real talk <laughs> that's yeah. some real stuff that's, right there yeah. <laughs> and that's how it felt in that moment that i was trying to describe it's like all that whirlwind of emotion possibly crying you're not you're not your best self but that's like the dying process mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah it's grieving yeah you're like that's in the past now and so you have to let it go and sometimes that's an emotional release which mm-hmm. is okay but you which can't is why you assume you or drag on for too long of a time, right? Right, and that's why we got to normalize dudes being okay with crying because that yes. might be the little mm. moment you need to go through to yeah. elevate into your next, you know, best self. Yeah, hundred you know percent, hundred. Yeah, I um, I've had a lot of emotional experiences, obviously in my job in the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I hate crying in front of people. It's it's always awkward to me, and I try to like hold it in, but. Sometimes even me crying is beneficial for a family member or a patient because they're going through somebody and they need somebody to cry with. And that's definitely not something that I would say I enjoy doing, but playing that role is so beneficial. And being with people at that point in their life is... it's a privilege. It's a privilege. And um, I, I take pride in being that person. And, you know, it's not fun in the moment. But again, you feel gratified afterwards because, you know, it was necessary and you feel fulfilled that you went through that. You know, mm-hmm. you went through that struggle. And that's why we talk about the the struggle is necessary. You know, yeah. that's how you grow, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and being vulnerable and connecting with people. And that's mm-hmm. often an uncomfortable experience. Right. Yeah. And that's something that we learn to do with our teammates first, mm-hmm. because some of those losses hurt. Yeah. They hurt hard, and mm-hmm. especially when you're not expecting to lose or it is a championship game or uh, maybe there's a scout there that you're trying to impress, whatever it may be, when you don't uh, perform well and sometimes the whole team's performing bad, right? Yeah. And that's definitely a tough pill to swallow. And then the coach might be mad afterwards. There's all these factors, but the important part is moving on and being ready for the next week because you got to let it go. You know, it's interesting you talk about kind of how you learn with your teammates first because me and Jared not only had positive experience, but we had plenty of times where we went at each other because we're both, we both talk a lot, first of all, (laughs) and we're both super competitive. So there would be times where, you know, it'd be up with me and Jared and we'd be screaming at each other. Yeah. Every single thing was like, you know, you know, magnified Mm -hmm. and it just teaches you like even with your brothers, like you, you fight sometimes because you guys are both trying to be great Mm -hmm. and getting past that is the most valuable thing because if you ever uh, kill a relationship off just because you guys are having a moment of trying to be two alphas it's not going to be beneficial for you in the long run so that's another thing i've learned just from having friends like jerry is that you can be passionate and not think that they're never going to talk to you again you know (laughs) yeah yeah um as long as you guys have that clear understanding of each other right right right. and uh and also be willing to apologize, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very valuable too. Some people are so stubborn that they don't want to apologize and that's why they end the relationship. Like, right. I don't want to take accountability for what happened. Right. Or they don't express their true passion because they think they're going to hurt their friend's feelings. So they're yeah. going to like scale it back. But it's like, nah, mm-hmm. your real friend wants you to be 100% you, express it. I don't mm-hmm. care. I'm not going to judge you. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a true friend, right? Yeah. 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 I... Uh, I think that today there are a lot of keys that people will be able to not only take and benefit them in sports, obviously, but professional, personally, right? Um, Some of these things of us building our trust within each other. I hope that people can see the bond. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's been many years behind this, right? Oh, yeah. And um, I I don't think I've ever been in really a fight with either of you, though. No, not like, like a physical one. Well, not even like, <laughs> have we been in a verbal, like, altercation? Uh, like, have we had, like, I feel like we haven't had much tension. Yeah, like, I, I not really. I feel like me really. and you never really got up like that. No. Yeah. It was like when we were younger, a lot of the stuff that went down, we were, like, in it together, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is the thing is that I played on the football team with Blake, right? So I was mad. <laughs> but you were just so stronger than everyone that you probably didn't even notice that. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm about to crack Blake, and I go hit him, I fall back, and I'm like, bounce off him. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about my football team. You guys talk about how um, you had some tense moments when you were playing playing together right I had a couple times with my football teammates I think that they were mad at me maybe and then I was just like I don't really care I'm still here to grind like sorry exactly (laughs) and then yeah that that emotional piece uh would be different for me I would 
rarely get mad at my teammates unless they weren't trying. Mm-hmm. If I saw that somebody had their head down and they thought we were going to lose already, then I'll get really upset. Yeah. And I'll tell them, like, you might as well leave because I'm still over here trying to win and you're wasting my time. No, sure. Right. Absolutely. And uh, it gets me fired up thinking about it because I, <laughs> we had a small team, right? Yeah. And, and it was, like, not a situation where we could afford for one person to not believe that we could win. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we really had to rely on everyone. Um and regardless of the size of the team, you're only strong as your weakest link to me. So yeah. I would tell people before the game started, if you're not in it to win, then you might as well go ahead and call your mom and pick you up because we don't need you to step on the field. <laughs> we'll, we'll play with 11 people if we need to, but I just need people that are going to actually put forth the effort and believe that they can do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we had to play Mountain Point, and they are number eight in the nation at the time, and we had went on like a four-game losing streak. So it's like, yeah, that, everybody on the team except me thought we were going to lose. Mm-hmm. And I was, I told them, I was like, if somehow I could play this game by myself, I would. <laughs> but y'all act like you need to get slapped, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so that was my leadership role, right? Just bringing that intensity and the confidence because I knew that I was putting in the work. So I would tell everybody else, if you have an issue with the effort you're putting in the gym, then maybe you should work out next to me mm. because I'm always trying to get better, right? Yeah. And it was simple as that. You know, when it came down to the play calls and stuff, there's always so many excuses on the, the outcome. And then I would tell people, you know, I think you skipped the set last week when we were working out. You you left before me and I got there before you. Yeah. So how are you going to really expect to perform at the peak level? Sure. And that's a hard... That's a hard thing to portray to kids, mm-hmm. high school teenagers, right? And it's hard for a high schooler to receive that type of uh, feedback from another high schooler, right? And that's why it's so important for the leadership to be there within the coaching staff and set that precedent, mm-hmm. right? If, if, if they're not setting the standard for everyone and children are trying to manage themselves, then it's, there's only so far it can go. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I'm grateful for you guys because um, you, you've both had influences on the youth of the community, which I'm so grateful for because uh, we need more guys like y'all. And I'm just going to go ahead and say there needs to be more guys like me, too. That's true. Because too. I'm confident in what I do, and all I try to do is spread love and positivity. Mm. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Nah, man. And if somebody is going to argue about it, let me know. And we can bring you on the show and talk about it, huh? <laughs> yeah. But uh, episode 32, man, thank you so much, Mr. Givens, for joining us. Thank y'all for having me. Mm-hmm. Yes, our pleasure, certainly. And, um, you know, just I don't know if I did, but I'm going to do it again if I did. Thank God for this opportunity to have this conversation with these lovely gentlemen on this lovely evening. And uh, I suppose, like last week, See you next week. Peace. Cheers. Peace.